Hi, I'm Ryan Becker, and you're listening to the Rock Hill Seventh-day Adventist Church Official Sermon Archive. You can find more information about our church at www.rockhillsdachurch.org. We hope by listening to this message that you are encouraged and challenged in your walk with Christ. this morning, I want, Ken, can you do me a favor, and, and would everybody write this number down? Ken, give them your cell phone number, if you would, please. <laughs> if things go terribly wrong this morning, I want you to call Ken. He is our uh, head elder here this morning, and uh, he will help walk you through uh, what I missed this morning. So, uh, Ken... Uh, you've got my backpack there, right? Yes, yeah. I do. <laughs> I say that this morning because we are going to tiptoe on some sacred cows this morning. As you can see, the title of our message is The Rule of Love, Why People Leave the Adventist Church. And so, keep in mind, this is a, a general message. This is the most loving church here. And of course... We don't do anything that I'm about to discuss this morning. But just in case you were thinking about it, I thought I would cover it so you'd have a point of reference uh, in that moment of weakness. And so we're going to uh, cover the rule of love. And if you don't take anything away this morning, carry with you that one phrase, the rule of love. And if you apply the rule of love to everything that you do, then you're going to be just fine in terms of your relationship, your walk, in terms of how you treat other Christians, in terms of how you welcome people into the church. If you don't remember anything other than the rule of love. So let's pray as we get into our message this morning. Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we are honored to stand in your presence this morning. Father, we come in the power of your Holy Spirit. We come with a fervent attitude because you are great. And so, Father, I thank you for your children that have gathered here today. I pray that you will speak to our hearts and our minds. Let us set aside every distracting element and focus on you, Lord. We give you our full attention. In your name we pray. Amen. 
So, Adventist rules. As you know, if you have been a part of the church, Adventists have many rules. Many rules that, uh, such as uh, Halloween. Don't celebrate Halloween. Christmas, you may or you may not celebrate Christmas. Contemporary worship services, some believe that it's okay, and others believe that it should be strictly traditional. If you wear a dress, it should be at least two and a half inches below the kneecap. Loud children in the church, unwelcome, especially crying babies. It's sinful to have recreation on the Sabbath. Do not watch television on the Sabbath. Do not go to the movies. Do not dance. Girls do not wear pants. It is wrong and sinful to drink, to smoke, for your children to attend public schools, or for you to have a tattoo. Get ahead of myself because the rules do not end there. It is not acceptable for your children to be vaccinated. Do not watch Harry Potter. Do not listen to rock and roll music. Do not eat meat. Men, keep your hair cut short. Girls, do not wear makeup. Church must not last longer than an hour. There is no co-ed swimming, uh, no jewelry. Only eat the turkey bacon when no one is looking. And only drink Starbucks when you are on vacation. Did I leave anything out? What we are talking about this morning is a theological term called a diaphor. A diaphor simply means things that are indifferent. These are things that are neither commanded nor forbidden by the scripture, such as, please don't shoot that gun in church. <coughs> things that are not commanded by God nor are they forbidden in Scripture. I know if you review your list in my mind, there are a few of our uh, fundamental beliefs that I covered in there. And as we get into our message, the point that I'm making is not that these lists are wrong. It's not that these lists are inaccurate or unimportant to God. It's not that these lists will not bring you into closer relationship with God. It is, however, our attitude about the list and how we convey that attitude to others around us. So I don't want to get confused this morning and, and have people leave here and say, well, Elder folks said these things were unimportant because they are important based upon where you are in your relationship with God. <coughs> Not where I am in my relationship. Where are you in your relationship with God? And how do I respect the inworking of the Holy Spirit in your life? Or do I attempt to supersede what the Holy Spirit is doing in and through you? Open your Bibles, if you will, to 
1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter. We are going to spend uh, the bulk of our time this morning reviewing uh, these passages. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. As you are turning, uh, the next slide says, The law of charity, it supersedes my Christian liberty and all of the rules that I want to enforce on others. The law of love, it supersedes everything else. And so, in this uh, chapter, Paul, he's dealing with uh, um, whether or not it is acceptable to eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols. In this chapter here, what we see is the Christians are living in an area uh, that is very much populated by heathen uh, and, and idolaters. And so in their deity, they make these sacrifices uh, to their uh, to their false gods, and then they feast on the sacrifices. Most of the time it's done in the temples, and they even invite others to come and join them. If there's leftover from these feasts, they will carry it outside of the temple to friends, and sometimes the priest will even sell the meat in the market. And so, this whole passage has to do with, is it acceptable to eat this meat that has been sacrificed to false gods? Let's begin. In verse 1, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we that all have knowledge, knowledge puffeth up, but love builds up. And if any man think that he knows anything, he knoweth nothing as he ought to. But if any man loves God, the same is taught by God. What I want to focus on here in the first couple of, of verses of this passage, listen to the prophet. He says that there are two kinds of knowledge. There's the knowledge that a man acquires of himself, and then there's the knowledge that is taught and received by God. If a man receives knowledge of himself, he knows nothing as he ought to know. But if a man is taught by God, then he properly understands. Through Christ, we can do what? All things? And apart from Christ, we can do what? Not even our knowledge base. It's true knowledge apart and separated from God. <coughs> Only when we are taught by God can we properly understand what it is that we have learned and also how to apply it. Verse 4, he says, as concerning, therefore, 
eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols. We knew that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. Here he is explaining that we don't have to be concerned about idols because idols are nothing. If I want to eat the meat that's been sacrificed to an idol, does that idol have the authority or the power to change the makeup of that meat? Certainly not. Only God who creates something can change that something that he has created. When we are taught of God, there's a precondition. There is something that, that must uh, be evident in us before we can learn of God. And I've listed them here. We must desire first to know God. Second, we must be intentional about building a relationship with God. Third, we must be willing to humble ourselves before God. We must be pliable, able to be taught, able to be molded and shaped in the manner in which God wants to mold us. We must be open, open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. In other words, our will can't supersede the will of God. When God tells us to do something, we must be ready to move on it now. The next item it says is we must be always willing to put others before ourselves because Christianity is another's first ministry. It's not myself before the next person. It's the next person before me. Why is it that way? Because Jesus put himself after us. He humbled himself. He set aside all of his divinity and he came to this earth as a, in the form of a lowly man. And he suffered the death that you and I deserve. He put us ahead of himself. If we want to be taught of God, we must have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. So Paul is teaching us there is nothing magical about an idol. There is nothing powerful about an idol. There is nothing that an idol can do because it is merely something that has been crafted by the hand of man and is powerless. Verse 5, For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and were in him, in one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we live, by him. There is one creator and there is one mediator, Paul explains. Someone turn to Revelation 14 and read for me verses 6 and 7. It says the first 
angel message speaking about the Creator. This is the cry that is to go to the whole world at the end of time. And it is reminding us to go back to something. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, and tongue, and people, saying in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Who are we to worship? Him. Him who did what? Created it. Created all things. That's who we are to worship. Not an idol. Not something that has no power. Something that can bring life to nothing. And there is one mediator, our high priest, who is Jesus the Christ. Someone turn to Romans uh, chapter 5 and someone else get... Acts chapter 17 for me. If you have it, would you stand up and read Acts chapter 5, uh, verse 11? Come on, flip those Bibles. Acts 5, 11. Romans 5. Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say it in plodding prose. We sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus the Messiah. Through Jesus the Messiah, our Redeemer. He has made an atonement for us. He is the only one by which we can have access to the Father in heaven. Acts 17, 28. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own folks have said. We are also his offspring. In him we live, we move, we breathe, we have our being. Our life is in him. What do we have to fear of a false God? There is absolutely nothing wrong with the Christians eating the meat of this idol. Absolutely nothing wrong. Has no authority over our Jehovah. No power over the God that we serve. Here he continues, he says in verse 7, How be it there is not in every man that knowledge. You could pause right there. There is not in every man that same knowledge. I understand that there is one God creator, that there is one uh, atonement and sacrifice in Jesus the Christ, but not every Christian is as firm as I am in my belief. Some new converts may not have fully grasped that, that what seems like a simple truth. He says, How be it there is not in every man that knowledge, 
For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But meat does not grant us favor unto God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. He says, look, there are some, some of these idolaters who have just converted to Christianity and they don't fully understand that I am the God of the universe, that I am the creator of everything that is, of everything that was, of everything that ever shall be. They are not full in their faith. But whether I eat or I don't eat, does this give me favor with God? Take heed, lest by any means this, this liberty, the other word I use there is, is this, this right. Take heed, lest your rights become a, a stumbling block, an offense to those who are weak. Take offense by what you say to each other about what you do on your Sabbath day, about how you feel so strongly about where their child attends school, about whether or not you should be in church with that tattoo on your sleeve. Or whether your dress is long enough or you should be ashamed about being in the house of God looking like that. Be very careful unless your liberties become a stumbling block or an offense to the weaker <coughs> Christian. Paul is dealing with, with an issue of food, but it goes far beyond our stomachs. He's talking about eternal salvation here. He's talking about a soul that has been barely converted and Satan comes but to snatch the seed away. And he's using the stronger Christian to do it. And quickly to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, verse 1, Paul is still dealing there with this topic. He's still dealing with this same topic. And here he says, Him that is weak in the faith, receive him, but not to doubtful disputations. There will always be differences of opinion or disputes over certain things in the church. Not everyone is going to always feel the same way about everything 
that we believe. And trust me, in other denominations, it's just as bad as in our own. But we must accept that we will never eliminate every differing point of view, but we must go out of our way to make sure that the one who is weak in faith, that he is welcomed into the fellowship.
not judgmental, not full of pride. God resists the proud. God resists us when we look down our nose at someone. God resists us when we're not patient, when we're not kind, when we're not long-suffering, when we're not gentle, when we're not peaceful. We resist the proud. Brothers and sisters, this message this morning is for me. I pray that it is for you as well. I pray that God is, is speaking to your heart. Because this is not something that is just on the surface. It's not something that is just visible to every man and woman that you interact with. This is something that is in your heart. your secret in your hidden sin. Pride. You can be prideful and nobody even know it. You can be the, the model pew-sitting Christian in church and on the ride home rip apart every member that was present today. sin against Christ. Verse 10. For if any man see thee which has knowledge, sitting at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which were offered to idols? And through your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish in whom Christ has died for. So here's the point, the illustration that he is making. There is a weak brother who has just been converted to Christianity. And he was a, a, a heathen idolater. And he was used to being in the temple and making sacrifices to his deity. And when they make these sacrifices, afterward they would have these elaborate feasts and they would eat of the meat that had been sacrificed. And so here he is. He, he walks away from that because he has a glimpse of the foot of the cross. And now he is on the road to Christianity. But here comes the strong Christian. And he has full understanding that there is no power in any of these false deities. And so he's invited to come to the feast and in he walks and sits down and he begins to eat of the meat of the idols. And so the weak brother is observing them from a distance. And he says, this man who is strong in faith, who loves his God, who has convinced me 
that I should forsake my deities and follow after this true God, he sits himself at the table of the deities. Maybe my deity has power after all. Maybe I should not have walked away from my own deity. Maybe there is more there than what I imagined. And so because his conscience is weak, his conscience is waffling, he is going back and forth in his own mind because he is unstable in his ways yet. He decides to follow that stronger Christian. The word of God says, Shall the weak brother perish whom Christ has died for? Shall he perish because of my actions? Because he wants to take his child uh, to the park and kick a soccer ball on the Sabbath day? Should he perish because uh, I am uncomfortable Because he has a watch on his wrist. Or because she has earrings in her ear. Do I make it my business to run them out of the church? Verse 12. But when you sin so against the brethren, you wound, you wound their conscience. And you sin against Christ. Listen to what he says in this last verse. Wherefore, if meat makes my brother to stumble, I will eat no flesh while the world stands. Unless I make my brother his son. That's how serious he was about this gospel message. That's how important salvation meant to him. That's how important and vital eternity is. And that's what one soul lost from the kingdom represents. If it will cause my brother to stumble, as long as this world stands, I will refrain from it. Or, until God deals with my brother on this level, and he comes to the full knowledge through the gift of the Holy Spirit and his leading and his promptings, I will stand by. Why are people leaving the church? They're leaving the church because of our lack of patience. Because of our lack of tolerance. Because we are not willing to be long-suffering as Christ is long-suffering with us. The rule of love. 
we will follow the rule of love, if we will lead them to the foot of the cross, then Jesus will do the rest. Amen. Stand with me as well.